0: You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. Have you ever thought about
1: your Sunday morning worship experience as a game of tetherball? Maybe you've thought about it like a slinky. Maybe you've thought about it as something completely different. (laughs) Whatever the metaphor that might come to mind for you. Uh, Today we are talking about Sunday morning, and specifically liturgy. It can be a bit of an intimidating word, but we're going to unpack what it looks like to have the Christian calendar lived out in our liturgy and why following the Christian calendar in our Sunday morning service can be an act of discipleship. And yes, we are going to talk about how Sunday morning might be thought of like a game of tetherball and how Sunday morning might be like a slinky with I think, some depth to it. Certainly the slinky metaphor because it was not my own. Today's guest is Daniel Reif. Daniel is the author of Living Christ, Embodying Jesus' Life in Worship Through the Christian Year. It is published by Wesleyan Publishing House. Daniel is the co-director of worship arts at College Wesleyan Church in Marion, Indiana, where he has served since 2012. Daniel has a master's. Of Worship Studies from the Robert E. Lee Weber Institute for Worship Studies in 2019. He is a doctoral student at the same institution, and he is one of the pastors that I certainly enjoy being led by and learning from in our worship time at College Wesleyan Church, where my wife and I and the rest of our family have the privilege of serving and participating in worship. In today's episode, I think that you're going to have some maybe of the intimidation factor taken down, maybe some inspiration, some fueling up for you who are worship leaders and other uh, leaders in liturgy as the preacher or the prayer, or even as a worship participant, one who is gathered with the body in one way or another. We're going to talk about what this has meant in a COVID era and what insight we might grab from this time in a post-COVID era as well. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Enjoy the podcast.
0: We are Wesley and you belong here. My name is Victoria Borum and I am Wesley. I'm Lenny Lucchetti and I am Wesley. My name is Chris and guess what? I am Wesley. Hi, I'm Tina
1: Schappett and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that
0: the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here too, because we are Wesley.
1: Welcome to the Wesley Seminary podcast, Pastor Daniel. It's good to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Full <laughs> disclosure: Daniel is one of the pastors at College Wesleyan Church, where I attend, and I certainly have enjoyed his leadership and ministry, and learning from him. And uh, so this is this is more than uh, just talking to. Uh, a person who I think has got a good voice and a good mind to share with our listeners, but a person that I've enjoyed getting to know personally. So I'm really glad you're with us. I'm glad to be here. So you've just published the book, Living Christ, Embodying Jesus' Life in Worship Through the Christian Year. It's published by Wesleyan Publishing House. Um, I'd love just to start with a big question. Why do you think Christian calendar is important for discipleship purposes? All right. So oftentimes we don't think about Worship and discipleship necessarily going together. Like you might have worship ministries and then you've got discipleship ministries in a church. And you've written this book on the Christian calendar. Why do you say the Christian
0: calendar is important for discipleship? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the point of discipleship is that we would become more like Christ. And so when we look at our calendars, if I were to look at your calendar, I could probably tell you what you value because we make time for what we value. And so if if you took on my calendar and I took on your calendar, our lives would start to look like the other person's because if I went to the birthday celebrations you had or to the classes that you taught or to the meetings you had, I would start to see the world how you see the world because I'm living your calendar. Uh, And so just like um, with, with Christ, the Christian calendar is Christ's life Mm. Uh, throughout one year. We look at, all these miracles that he did, we look over the disciples' shoulders when he uh, heals a blind man. We uh, watch as he walks to the cross. We see him give up his life. We see him take his life back up, and we see him ascend into heaven. And uh, so, so in journeying through all of these appointments in his calendar, uh, we begin to see the world how he sees it.
1: Now, like I said. Uh... We often think about worship as being one thing and discipleship being another, but the Christian calendar in worship is really this opportunity to see these things put together. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about uh, how have you started to see and see the real potential of the worship service being a context for becoming like Christ or becoming a disciple, right? We think about worship as, as our attention focused on God. And here we're talking about God getting into us and, Mm -hmm. and becoming Christ-like the spirit of God, making us from the inside, remaking us from the inside out. How do you see worship service as a context for discipleship?
0: Mm -hmm. I think the whole worship service acts as a blueprint. It is uh, a window into the kingdom of God, the culture of God, so on Sunday mornings, uh, we gather all the people of God into a room and we remember the story of God through the Christian year. Uh, and, and by remembering him and the way that he works and his ultimate work of uh, redemption, then that forms us so that then we're sent out to live that story out through the rest of our lives. The Eastern Orthodox Church has a phrase uh, called the liturgy after the liturgy, um, and the the first L is a lowercase L, and the last L is an uppercase L, because they're saying that the week, Monday through Saturday, is this lowercase liturgy that is lived out of the uppercase liturgy. So on Sunday, we witness the kingdom of God, and then Monday through Saturday, we live it. And so on Sunday, the things that we do in the service aren't just things to do, but they form us, they give us patterns and habits, and they teach us how, we, how to talk to God. They teach us how to read scripture. It teaches us how to interact with each other. It teaches us how to share with each other at the table. All these things are giving us habits and a, a, a lens by which to see the rest of the world.
1: I remember a, a couple of years ago, I caught myself um, writing on why Sunday morning church attendance was important and a couple of the themes that you've mentioned probably made it some way somewhere into the article not nearly as articulate articulate as you've given to us here but uh, one of the reasons I put down was I have children right and I want them to see a pattern in my life and to realize what it is that we orient their lives around and then just after writing that article I was having a conversation with a person it was Monday morning and I and I found myself found myself saying how was your weekend and it was like my own article came back to hit me and in the head and i was like wait a second sunday's not the weekend right sunday's the first day of the week and so you've crafted that for us right now you've said you know the week of monday to saturday and sunday really is the first day of the week so i've had to modify my language so rather than asking people how's your weekend i say like how was your saturday and sunday right so i'm not trying to like get into some kind of nitpicky theological conversation I don't think it is but i'm not trying to make a point in asking the question i'm still trying to actually spark a conversation and just, you know, ch- check in with colleagues and coworkers and friends, but in a way that's still faithful to recognize Sunday is the first day of the week. And it's the first time that I'm setting aside to be with God so that the rest of the week is well ordered. Or as you say, if you look at my calendar, you're going to be able to see what's what's valuable and what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I appreciate you making that distinction because suddenly um, I, I'm reminded that all of my work is resting on Christ's work. Mm-hmm. All of my work of Monday to Saturday is resting on what Christ and what only Christ could do on Sunday, you know, the, um, mm-hmm. in being raised from the dead in, in breathing on us, the Holy spirit, that, that only, only Christ could do that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I'm anything that I give to him and return to him is resting on that, on that work of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the phrase, uh, the things that we do in worship aren't just things to do. Uh, preacher that I've learned a lot from, as far as communication goes, Andy Stanley, he used to have this phrase. He said, uh, he would challenge preachers, he'd say, preachers, you are not there to fill the time. He said, no one no one is coming to church hoping that you will fill the time. Nobody brings <laughs> a friend of theirs to church saying, boy, I really, ho- I really hope the pastor fills the time this week, right? Like It's like, well, people are expecting 60 minutes, so I better fill it with 60 minutes. And as you're chatting, or, or as you're speaking with us, I kind of get this like turn a phrase. It's not filling. It's not filling the time in that way, but it is a way of filling our time with meaning, right? Mm-hmm. That the worship that we engage on Sunday is meant to fill the time so that it's not it's not shriveled. It's not meaningless. It's filled with with meaning and purpose. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. How does that how does that strike you about what we're doing in the worship experience? That it's it's time set aside to fill the rest of our time with um, a true posture towards time
0: yeah i think in the the corporate worship service we have to we have to enter it recognizing that um, recognizing that this is a conversation Mm. between god and his people so we have something to learn we have something to bring um and to to realize that all the things that happen in the service are formative. Mm. Even if we, even if we don't intentionally put it there, everything that uh, that we do does, does inform us in some way. So um, a a simple example that we always talk about is it seems to be a common trend now people will turn off the lights. Um, And, and when you think and consider, well, what, what is, how does that form the believer who walks into corporate worship service and we turn off the light so you can't see anyone else so there could be lots of people Mm -hmm. in the room or you could be there by yourself you don't know it's dark Um, and that forms you that tells you that a relationship with god looks a certain way Um, if you turn all the lights on and realize that everyone is here together that god relates to us as a community not just to me as an individual uh, there's something formative in that. And so I think definitely content. I think that uh, the things that are said are very important. I think um, looking at how often do we talk about God versus talking to God, uh, all of those things do form us in certain ways. But I think we also, um, evangelicals, really like to limit uh, their relationship with God to an intellectual practice. So let's learn about God. Let's learn something new. If I've learned something new, then the service was a success. And even though God wants us to know about him, he wants us to know him. And I don't know my wife by just learning about her. I know my wife by living with her. And so the corporate worship service is a chance for us to live with God by doing the things that he has said are important to sit at a meal together, to enter the waters of baptism, to pass the peace to one another, to, to listen to the word of God spoken. Um, and so all of these things are formative, not only intellectually, uh, but also through our participation in them.
1: And I think that whenever that the worship then is getting into us, and as we are sent, we realize that the sacred space that has been formed around us and has started to be has started to fill us is that carried with us into the world, right? Exactly. We can't help but t- we can't help but take it with us and and praise be to God. It's not that we're going ahead of God into the world. We're we're catching up to where God is already at work in the world. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly um, eyes that have been trained to see uh, on Sunday can start to see where is God at work in places that we might not expect to see Him at work. He's already there. He's already present. He's doing work that we could not have imagined starting to do. And I think that's that's part of the the joy of being reminded, just such a simple thing that Sunday is the first week, day of the week. That as I head out into Monday to Saturday, there's nothing that I am doing that God is not has not already started. Mm-hmm. He's not waiting for me to get something started. He's already doing something.
0: If we're supposed, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. If, if we're supposed to be the image bearers of God then there's this idea the world doesn't know what god looks like unless we bear the image to them and so sunday morning is when we learn and discover what that image is so that then like you said we can channel channel that image and channel his grace to the world around us
1: it's kind of that line uh and we might even think like well all this talk about sunday all this thinking about sunday how does it connect with the world how is it good for the world and there's a phrase that comes out of that that says you know a person is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good and we we all can kind of bring that person to mind right like they're they're it's like they're living in the clouds you know and Mm -hmm. and there's there's an aspect of them that just never seems to to make touch with reality or the or the world in which we live but there's a subtle turn of that phrase that says um, a person is so heavenly-minded in order to be of earthly good, right? A person who is properly heavenly-minded is one who can be of true earthly good, and that was the the insight, one of the insights of Saint Augustine, when he's he's seeing the city of God being formed up and how it's consistently infiltrating the city of man, this the the you know the city the empire of Rome, consistently doing that, and so you have these these realities that are both ongoing, kind of side by side, but the city of God is consistently infiltrating um, into the cities that it lives around. And Sunday then can be such, a uh, a, a drive, such a resource, such a, um, not an escape from the world, but, a, but, uh, it is a, it is a kind of retreat, right? It is a retreat in order to be resent out. There's a, there's a consistent pattern of, of withdrawal and, and, uh, resending. Now with that in mind, there, there's a couple of things that come up. One is just the, the, I mean, there's a number of statistics that are coming about, about people who, who went to church prior to COVID and now are not returning. And like, I see like, you know, one third of churchgoers are no longer going back. And I mean, we're, we're so fresh into this experience that one, we don't know what data is right. And two, we certainly don't know what it means, right? So, so kind of like not, not necessarily getting into that, although it's, it's good work to be, that will need to be done and good research, but I would love to hear how you are addressing the heartbeat of what you've talked about, which seems to be centered around a gathering, right? How are you working to overcome the challenges of leading people in worship when you're often not in the same location, right? There's a time that, that none of us at our church we're, were gathering. We're starting to do that. And we have some some protocols in place to make sure that we're doing that as wisely as we can, mm-hmm. um, um, but we're able to kind of start gathering, but there's still a whole lot of us that aren't there. And there's some churches that they're still not gathering in person, Mm -hmm. right? They're still relying on, on spiritual formation uh, through the Sunday liturgy through Sunday morning Mm -hmm. happening across a technological barrier through a distance. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to hear how you're working to overcome some of the challenges in your work as a worship leader.
0: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it's, it definitely is a huge challenge. And part of me, because because we value this is okay if if we are able to package what we do on Sunday morning in such a way that you can watch it online and feel like you've gotten as much from that as being in the room, we have been doing something wrong in corporate worship. Hmm. I think part of this is there should be a longing to return because we're missing something. We really are. I think we can do online uh, worship really well. Uh, but I think we'll always be lacking if we aren 't in the room together, and so uh, so that 's the hope like everything we 're doing is is trying to leave a little bit of tension of saying this is incomplete, like you should be desiring to come back, but at the same time uh we 've tried uh to encourage our people to if they 're going to watch the services online to find groups that they feel comfortable being with uh and watching the service together we've tried to create um, weekly online resources with discussion questions so that if people watch the service separately they could either meet up as a group later or even call each other if they don't want to be in person to discuss the service so there's some sort of corporate interaction um, around the the service
1: yeah it is it is kind of a uh, grit your teeth and and push through it, right? And and I think it one of the things that might be possible. we might think about this? Is right. This pandemic is going to come to an end. They all they all have they all you know got by God's grace. They all will. And life looks different. And life looks the same. You know, it's not like it's going to be a completely new set of creatures that that pick up the day after the pandemic is declared to be over, and all of these things. All right. So there's there's uh, there there is going to come an end to it but there likely will come another such event and maybe it won't be a global pandemic. Maybe it be more local in churches, but you might, we might say, well, how can our Sunday mornings start to prepare us for that? And we, you talked about, there is a loss, right? There is something that I'm missing out on. Of course, the practice of, of lament, right? The scriptures of lament. I remember one time, the first time I preached a Psalm of lament during uh, Advent and I was like, you know what, we're just gonna try it. We're gonna try something different. And it was probably one of the Sundays that I got some of the least feedback of boy, that was a good pass. That was a good message, right? Oh man, David just preached that. You know, probably some of the least feedback, but I got feedback from one person that I hardly ever got feedback from. Mm-hmm. And it was like that was a word that God had had for them. And I think that the Sunday morning can be something that we use to prepare our people for all the ups and downs of life, mm-hmm. right? If we only think about it as celebration, and even we, we started to call our, our, our worship gatherings celebration services. Well, that's, that's a good thing, right? There, there, we are gathered to celebrate the resurrection. At the same time, there are times of lament that we're going to go through. There are times of difficulty that we're going to go through. And our Sunday can become something that strategically prepares us for that giving us language, giving us postures? How do we posture ourselves towards God whenever it seems that God is absent or God is silent or we're simply calling out to God? Um, And I see that as one of the, as one of the, maybe one of the things that we can reclaim is like, well, maybe Sunday morning, while it is a celebration, we can also remember it's more than a celebration, right? And the, and, you know, I think this is one of the things that, that, Uh, you do really well and that you lay out in the book is this is what one of the benefits of going through the rhythm of the Christian calendar gives to us, Mm -hmm. right? There are times uh, such as Lent that prepare us to give Mm -hmm. something up and to realize, well, what is it to be without and how do we live faithfully in a time um, of lack? Do you see the Sunday morning service as, as something that we can even use to prepare people for, you know, future, maybe it's personal kind of pandemic kind of things where it feels like everything is just falling apart and everything is disconnected. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I really do think the Christian year uh, teaches us emotional competency in some <clears throat> sense through the lens of Jesus's own humanity. And I think that, yeah, like you said, um, even even just meeting on Sunday is part of the Christian year. That's, I mean, uh, Resurrection Day. Um, but the if all we ever do is celebrate, um, then we have removed so much of Christ's humanity that really is a gift to us to say that um, we can, we can fall on our knees and beg God, take this away from me, make, make another route Mm. (laughs) Um, because we see that in Christ. Uh, We see the longing of a nation for a savior. Um, Mm. We see, we see all these different emotions that, that, I don't often feel like uh, worship leaders just randomly will say, oh, we should have a service of lament. Typically, it's in response. Something happens, and then you'll see, okay, we're going to put together a new service. Uh, The Christian year makes space for that, whether your society or context needs it, in such a way that it's saying, no, to be human like Christ was human, you should have seasons. Of lament <laughs> you should have seasons of reckoning uh, and so even it was interesting that the pandemic um, like that we it started in the season of Lent <laughs> um, and and so that was an, an interesting thing and even to hear people in our congregation as we talk about it to use Lenten language to talk about it I, I just thought that was a fascinating thing and we've been I mean this is about I think the fifth or sixth year that we've really been following the Christian year really closely. Uh, And so it's been interesting to see our people even uh, learn some of that, that vocabulary, but then to even remain in uh, isolation during the Easter season, that was, that brought up so many conversations, uh, more from like a historical standpoint, even of recognizing the early church would have been like the disciples were hiding in, in the upper room, you know? And and so it was just neat to see our church live through the pandemic, through the lens of Christ's life. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing because it, it gives you space to feel all the human emotions in the context of God.
1: Mm. Uh, I was going to delve a little bit into uh, when you mentioned the, the Christian calendar and, and, worshiping through that illuminates our, our eyes to seeing a nation yearning for a savior and that we are discussing this in September with November the 5th right around the corner, right? But you see that underneath, right? Like you see that kind of yearning underneath is like, okay, the United States is in a pretty tumultuous time and I, I kind of stand as an outsider to this as a, as a Canadian citizen, I can't vote. I, I try to follow things in a, at an appropriate distance. I'm like man that like that desire sits underneath right that sits underneath all so much of the tension is like everybody's got a similar desire who who can pull us through this who can pull the nation through this and of course that's not unique to the United States that is a human longing right that's the whole that's the whole purpose of it and that's why Christians across languages across time sharing Christian calendar with one another can realize oh we're we're being attuned both to the same human experience, but better than that. And 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 thanks be to God, we're being attuned to the same story that God has answered that that yearning for a savior, and He has given us uh, a savior. And we need not deny that truth, even while we recognize we still pray, as John the Seer said, "Even so, come, Lord Jesus." Right? Like we are still praying and yearning for that return. Okay, I'm gonna. I want to be humble for a second here. I want to. I want to test out kind of like a a metaphor of the Christian calendar or worshiping this way. And I want to get your feedback and you can tell me where it needs to be tweaked or, or whatever else or scrapped and start again. Okay. So I'm trying to put on my, the hat of maybe, you know, a few worship leaders that I know that they love God, they love their church and like every week they want to take something brand new and fresh and creative and they want to design something brand new the next week. And they hear this, well, if it's all a bit scripted out, then that removes some of my opportunity for that creativity, that removes some of the opportunity. And part of what I have seen uh, at work in our church and going through, and, and as I have heard you and looked through the book, is this is the image I've got. It's like the worship service is like a, a, a tether ball. And the center of that is a, is a post that is immovable. Like that is the, that's the foundation of it. And then of course, attached to the post is the, is the tether ball itself. And you can stretch it really far out so it's really taut against the post or it can hang quite close and the, and the rope is loose. And so the ball can be at, at, various, at various points. Now, the ball is free to go anywhere within the, the sphere of the, of the rope that, that ties it, right? And sometimes it's really tight and sometimes it's, it's got less, less tension in it. And I was thinking about, well, maybe that's a way to think about what the Christian calendar does for us. So centered around the post is like the resurrection. Right, that is what is anchoring Sunday morning as the as the worship experience. We are gathered uh, in the name of Jesus by the resurrecting power of of God, and and recognizing that uh, world-changing event. We are gathered. So that's kind of like the that's the center post, and then it's like the the Christian calendar is kind of the is kind of the rope that allows us all kinds of freedom as long as we're staying oriented around the resurrection. And then within that, there might be something that's really tight and seems to strain against resurrection. That's called, you know, we talk about lament, you know, maybe it's lament or maybe it's sorrow, or maybe it's, I mean, we there might be a number of things that feel pretty strained from resurrection, but it's still connected. And then there might be other things that fit really well into like some of our triumphal songs and, and songs of, of hope and praise and, and God's uh, powerful, powerful activity. And that's when the, it seems like the ball is more closely linked to the post. It's, it's closer to the post. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's less tension there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all that was to say, it's like the post is what allows us a great realm of freedom and creativity, even while it's still making sure that we're tethered to the post that is mm-hmm. the center the center focus. So rather than the Christian calendar being something that takes away creativity, it's what allows us to be creative in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. Love to hear your, your take on that. Maybe you're like, yeah. Aaron, that's a terrible <laughs> illustration. Maybe you're like, okay, I'd tweak it this way or that. But yeah, that's kind of the, the, the image that's coming to mind about how somebody would take it and use this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, use this in their own worship leading.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think it's, a, I think that's the, a good, a good analogy, especially, uh, if you got rid of the pole, Or the rope, you're not playing tetherball anymore. Mm. So, you need all those, you need the boundaries. Mm. Um, And I think being that a large portion of my job is the creative side of how do we translate the Christian year in our corporate worship service, Um, I feel like I am the most creative when I have boundaries. Mm. If you just give me a blank whiteboard, I will go insane because of how many options there are. Like, oh, you could literally do anything. But to say, let's create a service that allows our people to participate with Christ as He journeys to the cross. Okay, there's still a lot of ways to go, but I've built like a boundary. So like, yeah, the ball can only go so far. Uh, and so I think I think that's a a really good analogy. I know that, as you said, there's some of this. There's always some fear of like doing something again and again, like a ritualistic thing, and. I get that. Um, another analogy I've heard of is is kind of like a slinky. how a slinky is round, right? Um, and so like in the Christian year, it's the same circle every single year. like <laughs> every spring you're going to get to Lent, and there's going to be Easter, so it 's like the same thing every single year. But as you go as you ascend <laughs> higher and higher on the slinky, you're at a different place, even though it 's still the same circle. you're mm-hmm. going higher and higher and higher. So when you use the Christian year. The story of christ doesn't change but it expects you to change as you continue to journey through it and i think a lot of times evangelical churches will try to produce new things every week so that they're actually enabling their people to never have to change because the service will change liturgy says we're the liturgy will stay the same because the story of god doesn't change but you're changing as you grow in that story
1: wow that's a great flip right that's a great flip and and I can see how that would in in many ways take a false kind of pressure off the worship leader, come up with something come up with something uniquely new on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. come up with some kind of and i'm going to say the word gimmick i don't mean that i don't mean that pejoratively right i don't mm-hmm. because there are people that are super creative and they're doing it as an act of worship i don't mean that, but um, come up with something that will catch my attention in a fresh and brand new way, and once that's gone well. Well, you know, if one third of people don't return to church, I think there's an aspect of that. I wouldn't tell the whole story, but maybe there's part of that that is saying what they haven't returned to is the is the um, consistent drive for something new, mm-hmm. and those who return are probably returning for something that's been old, right? Something that's been that's been consistent. Yeah. Uh, so, so your your flip there of um, providing the same thing. Over and over again, with the people changing, is different from providing something new over and over again, and the people not. Right? What a great paradigm paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. I got one more question that I'd like to ask you, and um, you know, I, I'm keenly aware that it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around, and I'm still wrapping my head around, even you know, what is liturgy, where do I see it, what does it mean. Uh, language in the Christian calendar, you know. Like I, I look it up. Like I look go to my phone. Like what do we what do we say? I mean, and I've been in church my entire life, right? And, and you know, it can and it can feel a little intimidating. But it can feel a little bit intimidating. And maybe there's people who are listening in that that there's something that that you have said that is resonating with them, and they're saying, yeah, that feels more like the the yoke of God, the yoke of Christ on my shoulders, and less like a a worldly burden. There's something about that weight that is going to keep me anchored and being faithful to God in a much better way than this, which seems to be just killing me and weighing me down and driving me into the dirt. You know, I want that yoke. And at the same time, maybe there's a bit of fear or intimidation. They're like, what if I do something wrong? Right? Like, how am I going to do all this? Right. Uh, I do commend your resource to them. Living Christ published by Wesleyan publishing house. And maybe one way that we could even further commend the book, the book is just, if you were to give one thing that you would say, here's a great way to start. All right. You know, you you, worship leader or pastor, you don't think of yourself as a liturgist, but something is resonating. Here's a great way to start. What would you say to that person?
0: First, I would say uh, to relax when you hear the word liturgy, (laughs) Uh, because all that it means is the work of the people. And so every church has a liturgy. Uh, some it's written down and very structured and others, it's very free, but whatever you do on Sunday is your liturgy. Um, The goal of liturgy then of worship is to get the people to do something. And so I would say if you can have your, run your whole service uh, and go through every single part of it without the people in the room, and, and look at it and say like, yeah, that was a pretty good service, then it, it's not a good service <laughs> because mm. you shouldn't be able to rehearse your whole, your whole service because the service should require the work of the people. There should be elements in your service, whether it doesn't have to be like high liturgies of like written out, structured call and response. It doesn't have to be that. There should be elements in your service that require the people to be there for you to rehearse it. So the passing of the peace is a liturgical element because it's the work of the people to pass the peace of Christ to one another. Communion is liturgy. Baptism is liturgy. Uh, The prayers of the people, even though you could say it, the idea is you're saying names of people in the congregation. So it really isn't a prayers of the people unless the people are there. Uh, And so that's what I would say. Look at your service and say, what elements require the people to be there? And if there isn't any, that's your first step. Create something that requires the people of God to be in the room for that element to happen.
1: That's a great step. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and and what, a, what a challenge. And I'm, I'm even thinking about how that can be employed in a COVID era where maybe a person is doing a service that is that is completely recorded Mm -hmm. is even simply to acknowledge you know what I'm going to do something now and it has been recorded on you know whatever day but something is happening as we do this together that I have not done on my own Mm -hmm. there's something unique happening now as we pray Mm -hmm. or as you in your family greet one another or, you know, to use another one of your, uh, maybe you can use another one of your examples. Um, there's something happening now in this moment as we worship together that is not simply you, the viewer, watching me, the performer, do this on your behalf. We are actually doing this together with a boundary or a, a strain of, of time and space. Yes, acknowledged. But there is something that God is allowing us to do together across time and across space uh, for our local church, which we pray he's doing across time and space for Church, uh, the global church, anyways, right? right? That 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 God is doing something across time zones and across nations and across uh, continents and um, mm-hmm. and and borders. Um, we ask that God to do that on a consistent basis, and He does. Um, and so now we're asking Him to do that for us as a local church. As I am doing this now, as you do this with me, we are doing something new and together that otherwise wouldn't have happened. I think it's a great. I think that's a great idea. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing it with us.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Aaron.
1: Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing uh, your experience, your wisdom with us. Uh, Every worship service tells a story. That is the tagline of Living Christ by Daniel Reif, available from Wesleyan Publishing House. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you sharing some of what you have studied with us in order to facilitate uh, the work of the people in our own churches.
0: Thanks for having me, Aaron.
1: Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If this is the first time you have heard the worship service compared to a slinky, then I think you should share this episode around. Share it around with a few people and let them know uh, something that you are, are learning or checking out. I encourage you to like and subscribe, upvote us on whatever listening platform that you are using to access the Wesley Seminary podcast. Thanks to Daniel. Thank you, listeners. Thanks to Cam for his editing and product, production work. I certainly appreciate uh, all the effort that goes into making these episodes available. Thanks again, everybody, and trust you to God, and have a great day.
0: Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.